0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. There's so much going on. I mean, there's so much going on that I don't even know like where to begin. Ghana is going very well. I've been doing these walks around my neighborhood every morning. One, to get some cardio in because all this jollof rice is bad for my waistline. But I've been getting to know my new neighborhood and exploring new restaurants, finding new shops that I like. Ghana has a ton of little boutiques that you would never really notice unless you were looking for them. But just walking around on foot as opposed to driving, I'm getting a better sense of what's around, what's available. Slowly but surely, it's all starting to come together. My friends who live here, who are also expats from the States, have given me a fair warning. They're like somewhere around the six-week mark, like you start to feel like you're losing your mind. The what have I done that happens like, you know, like the first week that you're here, it comes in waves. The one that hits it six weeks, they said that's when I'll start genuinely missing certain Americanisms. And I was like, so far, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm currently in search of sour cream. I'm not too worried about it because everything else that I've been in search of has miraculously appeared. I just have to find the right grocery store that has it. I'm sure I'll come across it. The Mexican spot up the street has sour cream, so I have faith this sour cream can be found. I found a couple really cute houseware spots. I don't know how I'm gonna get all this stuff back to America. I guess I just ship it like everybody else, but I found these two really cute houseware stores. I just want a couple things. Just a couple things to make my house feel more like a home, which it does. i got like this little bench in my hallway. And when I was living here previously as an Airbnb guest, the bench had statues and a couple knickknacks on it, like really cute. It just gave the place a little bit more of a home feel. But my landlady took it back because she was like, oh, you're living here. And I figured you want your own things, which I do. But I also wanted those cute things, too. They did leave the paintings on the wall, which I really do like. I told you I bought a piece of art the other day. I still got to get that hung up, though. But I found this vase. It almost looks like a Keith Haring design. I might go pick it up later today depending on what time this podcast gets done. I also need to go get my nails done. My nails are okay. I just want to update them because I can because it's $15 and why not. But my toes. I haven't had my toes done since before I arrived. I usually get my nails done two weeks and I get my toes every four. But one of my toenails is chipped and it's driving me nuts. So I really do need to go get my toes done. I've been writing these dear moms on, on my social media pages. The last couple ones that I've shared have been about dating in Ghana. And I think saying dating is is probably not accurate. Men I have met in Ghana. I don't think I'm going to tell y'all any more stories about men that I meet. Every time I share something, people are acting like it's my next husband. And I'm like, I met a man. That's it. That, that's, that's just it. That's, I met a man. There's no more to the story. I, I, I went out. There was a man. I met him. The most recent story I told, this guy told me he wanted a key to my place. He would pay my rent. He wants to take me to some resort. And people were like, oh my God, girl, be careful. These men, these African men, they're possessive, they're controlling, they're whatever. And I was like, are men in America not? This one woman was like, you know, you're not in America. You know, you meeting these men. Literally, she said, he could take a machete and cut you in half. I was like, girl, what have you been watching on TV? You need to stop watching that Dateline shit. Men in Africa, I'm sure there's crazy too. It's not like American men don't be doing crazy shit. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about a woman. The lady with six kids. I think she was in Philly. And her youngest child's father, that baby, didn't even look six months in the picture that I saw. But the guy caught her outside the grocery store at 8.30 in the morning and stabbed her to death. I don't remember the number of times, but it was a lot. They said when they found the lady the knife was still sticking out of her head. I was like, what? Why would you just say like, you know, you're not in America, thank God. They be doing crazy shit over there. I haven't heard the crazy stories over here yet. I'm sure they're here to be told. But I was like, America has no moral high ground to talk about anybody else's crazy shit. But that's not the point. The point is, every time I say I met a man, people are like, what about him? What about him? I, I adore him. You know how I feel about him. Him is also not my boyfriend and we live on separate continents. I'm bopping around Africa for a while. That could be six months, it could be a year, it could be two. I don't know. I I, I honestly don't know. I just know I'm I'm bopping around Africa. And I'm specifically saying Africa and not Ghana because I'm not even beholden just to Ghana. There's other places that I want to dwell in for indefinite periods of time. But literally, every time I'm like, oh, I met a man. Like Everyone gets so excited. You know, just meeting someone doesn't mean you're going to date them it doesn't mean you're going to call them even if you give out their number it doesn't mean you're going to answer you just met someone that's it sometimes I worry about people's understanding of, of meeting just meeting and then also dating every man you meet is not supposed to be your husband it's not gonna be your boyfriend it's not supposed to be not gonna be a date it's not supposed to be not gonna be a phone call it's not supposed to be sometimes you just meet people and that's it But just some of the inquiries, some of the responses, I'm just like, I need y'all to bring it down to a 10. Bring it down to a 10 because you're somewhere around a 20. Bring it down to a 10. Or this weird assumption that like, I don't know, I've moved to another continent and all my common sense has gone out the window. I'm like, you know, I brought like my discernment and common sense with me. Right. Like I didn't just move to another country and then all of a sudden, like just, I don't know, turn into like a 16 year old with no dating experience. Like I'm still 43, y'all. Like I've, I've lived. (laughs) I don't get excited because a man talks to me. I don't get excited because a man offers me things. Y'all are women. Y'all are out in the world. Like do men not offer y'all things on a regular basis? Men are always offering me something. I mean, most of them don't even have it to give, but they're always acting like they have something to do. Like, I mean, that's kind of what dating is. Most people don't see it until after they're off the market. It's more clear when you're married or divorced. But a lot of what passes for dating, I thought it was just in the States, but also apparently in Ghana as well. A large part of dating is men showing up and dangling something in front of a woman. And I don't mean their dicks. I mean dangling something in front of a woman and seeing what hoops she'll jump through to get it. In America, largely, it's the possibility of a title of some sort. If you do all these things for me, then, then I will give you the honor of, of making you my girlfriend or making you my wife. That's a possibility. But let me see what you're willing to do in order for me to bestow you with that title. That's a lot of what passes for dating. Dysfunctional dating, to be to be clear. It was something I didn't notice until I was divorced. And then I started dating again. I noticed the way that like men dangle titles and I only noticed it because I wasn't interested in it. So I was like, why is he talking to me on a first date about being my boyfriend or my husband? I'm not looking for either. And then it, it kept happening. And I was like, this is weird. And then genuinely, men just didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to date me when I wasn't interested in being a girlfriend or a wife. Like we good vibes and we good times. We kicking it. Like what's good? And then they're like, huh? What you mean you don't want to be my girlfriend? I don't know you like that. We haven't even finished dinner. What are you talking about? But I guess over here, it's, it's I offer you shit, which is very cute. I mean, I appreciate there's a desire not to show up empty handed. Like you're offering me a resort instead of a coffee date or you're offering to pay my rent. My rent was paid in advance before I got here. I'm good. My most major bill here is my cell phone, which actually costs more than my driver. I'm desperately concerned about my electricity and my internet consumption, but I think my electricity is... Right now, it's looking like $40 a month. I'm going to put $60 on it every month just in case. I want to know that if I fall asleep with the light on, I'm going to still have electricity in the morning. I don't want to tempt fate. And then my internet, which I think is $25. I figured out the internet situation. But I was like, yeah, like if I want to go to a resort, sir, I can go to a resort. If I want to buy a home and I'm here to buy a condo, I have down payment money and condo money. Even the whole like, you know, you got to pay it within two years. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. And if I wasn't, I got a daddy. Come now. I find it very cute that men are offering big shit. I would actually like to see the resort that he mentioned. I don't think I'll be going with him, though. The idea of, of a man I just met, even though he's my friend's cousin, going on a road trip two hours away is a first date. I'm good. I could have my driver take me to the resort and meet him there. That's a possibility. He called yesterday and today. I haven't called him back yet. Not even trying to be funny. I was running around yesterday. And then today I was on my walk this morning. When he called, when I got back, I had some work to do. I'm working now. Then I have to edit this. So I don't know. Maybe I'll call him tonight. I don't know. He was very nice. He was very charming. And he's my friend's cousin. So I don't want to be disrespectful. But I also have no obligation to him because of that. Like, stop. Folks are driving me nuts with that shit. I just need some time for people to like get a grip. I told this other story yesterday. I was talking about how I went to meet a friend who was in town at a coffee shop. And I ran into British Beck. And I think we talked about British Bay on here. I'm pretty sure I mentioned him. British Bay was this guy that I met when I was here in January, mid 40s. He's a diplomat and he's stationed here for the next, I think, four years. I think when I met him, he'd been here for about six months and he was singing the praises of Ghana. Like he loved it. He was already talking about trying to figure out how to extend his stay for work because he really enjoys the country that much. We hung out a bunch of times. I think we dated probably for about three weeks or so before I went back to the States. We hung out probably every other day, sometimes every day. But I at least saw him like four times a week. Like he was he was cool. He had good conversation. He goes out out. So he knew all the places, like a lot of places that I had researched for the other places I'd never heard of because he's just, you know, here on the ground. So, yeah, so we had a lot of fun and we stayed in touch From January until I guess April. So we stayed in touch for those few months. Like we FaceTimed every now and again, not very often, because the seven hour time difference is really hard. We would WhatsApp just to, you know, check in and, you know, how was your day? Just thinking of you, things like that. Just so there was like, you know, a, a communication. So the day I came back, he wanted to pick me up from the airport and he had a conflict. With work, and he was like, "I'm so sorry, um, but I really want to see you." And I was like, "Well, my flight doesn't land until I want to say nine. It's gonna take me forever to get out the airport and then check into the hotel. I doubt I'll feel like going out, but um, but if we do, and by we I meant me and Davita, because I was here with her again, call me and we'll see what's up. So it's very casual." So I had a friend here who took care of my visa, and he came and got me off the plane, helped me get my bag. So he fast-tracked me through the airport. I was wired by the time I got here, and I didn't want to just sit in the hotel. So me and Davida were like, okay, we'll go to Kozo, where we were staying. Kozo was really close by, and that's also my favorite restaurant here. Go over there, get a snack, get something to eat. Cool. We're at Kozo. Kitchen was closed. So we're sitting outside, just having a cocktail, enjoying the breeze, both happy to be back in Ghana. British Bay calls. He was like, I just finished my event. Where are you? We're at Cozo. It's about to close though. It's like 11 o'clock. So he says, Are you hungry? And I said, Yeah. Like, I haven't had anything to eat since I got off the plane. We came over here, but the kitchen was already closed. And he was like, Okay, well, come by me. It's like, Come to breakfast, to breakfast, get something to eat here. Breakfast, to breakfast is like Ghana's equivalent of a waffle house, it's, it's a little nicer than a waffle house. But it's a late night restaurant. I want to say it's 24 hours. They serve breakfast all day and some other random other things. But they're primarily known for breakfast, hence the name. He was like, oh, you and DeVita, because he was clear that DeVita was with me. He said, you and DeVita, come down here and get something to eat. He also met DeVito on a previous trip. So kind of important to the story. So we take an Uber from Kozo, which is close to where we're staying at our hotel. And we go down to Breakfast to Breakfast, which is in Osu. Because it's the middle of the night, it's no traffic. It's probably 15 minutes away. So we get there. He's not waiting outside. I was like, that's weird. So I text him and was like, hey, where you at? He was like, oh, I'm in the restaurant. Okay. So go in the restaurant. He's got a table. He's got a four top. So pleasantries, sit down, conversation. We order. Davida gets chicken wings and a lemonade. I order a falafel and a glass of Prosecco. He was already eating and had a drink when we got there. So chit-chatting, talking, bullshitting, this goes on for a couple hours. I'm starting to fade. Davida's starting to fade. I want to say she got here the day before I did. So we're both jet-lagged and it's starting to catch up. I was like, I think we're fading. We're still jet-lagged. Like, it's like, I'm starting to get tired. We're going to just go back to the hotel. He says, let me get the check. The lady comes over with the check. He takes the check and was like, it's 100 each, 100 CDs. A hundred CDs is roughly $10. There are three people at the table, which means it's a $30 check. I was like, did you just invite me and my girl to come eat with you and ask us to split a $30 check? This is what I'm thinking in my head. I don't say it out loud. I say, okay. Davida's like, are you good? Because literally, I just got here. It was super late when I got here. The banks clearly aren't open. The money man isn't available at this time of night. I guess I could have gone to an ATM, but I hadn't. I just happened to have CDs from the previous trip in December. So we pay, and he says, I'm going to get the Uber since y'all paid for your dinner. And I was like, okay. And also, to be clear, a 15-minute Uber in Ghana is maybe $2. I'd be in an Uber 24 seven. If it's under 10 minutes to get there, it's literally a dollar. If that sometimes it's 80 cents. So sure, whatever, dude, I just want to go back to my hotel at this point. So he calls the Uber. We go outside. He holds the back door open for me and Davida to get in the Uber. And then he opens the front passenger door and gets in. And I was like, wait, what's happening? And he was like, we're going to the hotel. And so I was confused because I was like, why is he going to the hotel with us? Surely he doesn't think he's coming to my room. He must just be coming to make sure that, you know, it's, it's late at night and he wants to just, you know, be a male presence to make sure we get there safely. Because if I wanted him to come up, I would have just invited him. So breakfast to breakfast is on the side street. We drive to the main street and we should be turning left. The cab goes right. Look at Davida, I said, aren't we, isn't, aren't we the other way? I usually have a really good sense of direction, but I'm jet lagged. I'm tired. Maybe I'm off. He's like, oh, no, we're going to go to my house first. Huh? He was like, I'm going to go to the house and pick up my truck and then drive y'all to the hotel. And I was like, why? We could have just taken the Uber straight to the hotel. We take an Uber to the hotel. You take an Uber home. I'm like, OK, maybe he's trying to be like chivalrous. And again, I'm jet lagged. I'm tired. I'm confused. I'm just like, it's not really making sense, but it's me and Davida. So I'm not like as heightened as I would usually be because I was like, it's the two of us. What the fuck are you trying to do? So we get to his place, which is three or four minutes away. He was like, I'm going to take y'all upstairs because I have to grab money for the cab. And then y'all wait for me. And then I'll drive y'all back to the hotel. I'm like, okay. He wants to show me his place. He had told me previously that he lived in like a really nice part of town. He had this three bedroom apartment. And I was like, okay, like he wants me to see his bachelor pad. He's trying to impress me. He needed to after he asked us to split a $30 bill. Fine, whatever. I'm just trying to go with the flow, trying to be like kind of agreeable, agreeable. And again, it's me and Davida. So I'm like, what the fuck is going to happen? Go upstairs. The door to his apartment was beautiful. It's one of those like big doors that you see like in Morocco. So I'm expecting what's behind it to be like, you know, pretty magnificent. It was a spacious place. It was the three bedroom that he said it was. It was very clean. I wouldn't live there. He gets money, goes downstairs and pays the driver. Me and Davida are sitting upstairs like, what the fuck? Davida's looking at me like, what the fuck have you got me into? I was like, girl, I don't know. She was like, I don't even understand what's going on. She was like, do I need to like call an Uber and go home so so y'all could be? And I was like, ain't no us being anything. Like wherever you go, I'm going. So he comes back upstairs and was like, you good? Like you want something to drink? And I was like, oh no, we're not staying. We just want to go back to the hotel. And I thought that that's where the Uber was taking us. And he was like, oh, okay. He said, well, let me give you a tour of the apartment. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So he's like showing me the living room, like we're not just standing in the living room. And also too, like I hadn't like, you know, when he went downstairs, looked all up and through his shit, I ran through that whole apartment. I peeked in every door just to see exactly where I was, make sure nobody else wasn't in that bitch. So he's giving me a tour of the apartment and like he's showing me his knickknacks and part of what I have found attractive about him is that he's a career diplomat. So he lived in all these different places. I'd love that we could be talking about something and he'd be like, yeah, when I was in Pakistan, this happened. When I was in Jerusalem, this happened. When I was in Saudi Arabia, this happened. When I was in Vietnam, this happened. So this dude is at his credenza and he's showing me, oh, I got this statue here and I got this here and I got that there and blah, blah, blah. And it was all very interesting. It would have been more interesting at like 3 p.m. as opposed to like, I don't know, 2 a.m. So then he wants to show me the bedrooms. Sure. All right. Sure. All right. The first room is the guest room. It is a twin size bed. I was like, what guest that is not a child is sleeping in a twin size room? And he previously told me that he didn't have children. And I said, I thought you didn't have kids. And he was like, I don't. And I was like, oh, okay. Just confused. And just so we're clear, this is not like like a cultural thing. Or an economic thing. He again works for the British government. He gets paid in GPB. The pound is stronger than the dollar. He's a career diplomat. He's not broke. So I'm trying to make sense of like. The furniture in the apartment was. I don't know if all college dorms have this. But at the University of Maryland. If you were an upperclassman. You could stay in suites. And we had this furniture downstairs. So a long futon that looked like a couch. And then a shorter futon that was like a love seat. And then this other like wooden piece that was kind of like our coffee table. There was a dining room table with chairs all made of this hard wood. It's like indestructible wood because you know how college students just abuse everything. Like when I think of college dorm rooms, this is what I think of. I also had almost the exact same furniture when I was in um, when I was in the dorms for NYU. This Picture college student furniture. That's within this apartment. And I remember him telling me one time that when he goes to all these different places, one of the perks is his job picks up the cost of the apartment. And then also they ship all his furniture. And so I was confused and I was like, is this his furniture? This is what he's shipping all over the world. And then I'm thinking like, okay, and this is all going through my head as we're walking down the hallway. I was like, I guess if you're shipping your furniture from like one place to the next place, you need something durable and sustainable. So this hard college dorm furniture, you know, would would take would take a few shippings and be fine. You can't have delicate stuff and then be shipping it in containers all over the place. Like I get it. But also like what? So then we get to his bedroom. It's another child sized bed. Splitting the thirty dollars was just weird. But then like in context, I'm finding out that he didn't have cash on him. But I was like, why didn't you just say that at dinner? Also, you don't have a credit card. You don't have a credit card. You don't have a debit card. Like even when I go out for my morning walks, like I have cash on me and I have a debit card. But I was like, OK, everyone doesn't think like me. But also still, why would you invite two people to come meet you? One of which is fresh off a fucking plane who it's more likely than not that I wouldn't have money with me. I just happen to have it. And then her girlfriend. You want like a broke nigga in front of her friends? Like, where'd they do that at? I'm so confused. Anyway, child-sized bed. A gigantic painting of him above the bed. It was a beautiful painting. And I just want to be clear. It was a really nice painting. It wasn't jankety. It was very nice. Had it been in the living room, I would have felt better about it. I'm like, even Whitley Gilbert put the painting of herself like in the living room. You put this above your bed? It screams narcissist to me. And then... On his dresser, which is also made of the dorm room furniture, there's a series of statues, a man and a woman in each, in various sexual positions. The really, really big one, like it was excessively big for like a bedroom statue. Again, this is something for the size of the statue and the size of the room. It was something that would have made more sense as like a a centerpiece in the living room had it not been. woman bent over and a man hitting it from the back like I was just like what okay like you like to fuck me too most adults do but like this is how you display it it just it felt very when I wrote about it on Instagram I described it as feeling like I was in a porn shop more accurately I should have said I felt like I was in a porno like one of those weird African fetish pornos or something like it was bizarre so I was like I'm at like the sexual circus get me the fuck out of here So he does drive Davida and I back to the hotel. He drives up in front of the hotel. Davida opens the door immediately and it was like, all right, good night. I was like, you're going to leave me in this car with this crazy motherfucker to deal with this bullshit. He was like, am I parking to come up or? And I was like, oh, no, you're going to go home because I'm jet lagged, as I said before. And thank you so much for the ride home. Can you text me, please, to let me know that you got home safely? All right, see you soon. I think I reached for his shoulder and gave him like a a firm shoulder squeeze and then popped out the car. This is ridiculous. You done had me and my girl split a $30 tab. You done okie-doked us to get in your house, sleeping in a child-sized bed, got a gigantic picture of you over your bed, and then got all these sexual statues all over the place. I was like, no, no. And I left out this detail. There's tons of of paintings of nudes all over the apartment. Had it been one or two, it would have been, you know, tasteful. Like, okay, it's a bachelor pad. Like, you like the female form. It is an art form. I get it. I appreciate it. I see nothing wrong with it. It had to be at least five nude paintings. And I was like, between the paintings and then the statues... And then the dorm furniture and then the child-sized bed. And I was like, you clearly like the fuck. I know you're not doing all this fucking on this dorm furniture and in this child-sized bed. No. No. In L.A., I had a king-sized bed for just me. Just me. I don't sleep on a child-sized bed on my own. I'd be damned if I'm fucking somebody in one. I just... So that's the demise of British Bay. I swore I had told y'all this story. When I shared the reminder about the demise of British Bay on Instagram, everybody was like, what the fuck? No, where did this come from? No, like we wonder what happened to British Bay. You never said. And I was like, I swear I told y'all this. No, we would have remembered. When I take this podcast, I usually record for about a minimum of an hour and 15 up to an hour 45. And then I edit it down to... The most interesting topics, edit out errors and gaffes and all of that dead space and whatever. And that's the final product that I put out every week. I think I told the story and then edited it out either because I don't even know. Maybe I didn't feel like I told the story right. Maybe I thought the story was petty. Maybe I was embarrassed that I had been entertaining a clown for months I mean, it wasn't like a daily thing, but like I hung out with him like on a regular basis when I was in Ghana. And then we stayed in touch for a few months. Like it wasn't hot and heavy. Definitely liking him and anticipating seeing him again. And then, yeah, the first night I was back. Clown shit. So that's the demise of British bread. Is there anything else pressing this week that we really need to talk about? I still haven't listened to the Serena Megan podcast. I saw Megan's on the cover of The Cut as well. Haven't had a chance to read it yet. I actually had to do some work over the last couple days. Oh, this Irv Gotti documentary. I'm so mad at Irv Gotti. Like, I was mad at Irv Gotti before. Like I I think I called him a trash-ass human in a previous episode, which I still stand by. But Irv Gotti did this Murder Ink documentary for BET. And to promote it, he went on Drink Champs and he's been saying all these terrible things about Ashanti, spilling all sorts of 20 year old tea. He went on another show. He had more to say about Ashanti. He gets on Instagram. He has more to say about Ashanti. I wonder, was it the VMAs last night? Was he on the red carpet? He had more to say about Ashanti. He will not stop talking about this woman. And he's doing it as promo for this Murder, Inc. documentary. I was actually genuinely interested in the story of Murder, Inc. Irv Gotti's heyday is the late 90s to, to the early aughts. It's the time of my life when I was most heavily in the club. Like literally my college years and my early 20s. Murder, Inc. was huge. So I wanted to see this documentary. So despite my hate of Irv Gotti... I tune in to watch the Murder, Inc. doc. I also know some people that worked on the documentary. I know tons of people that work at BET. I used to work at BET. Okay. So I tune in to watch this Murder, Inc. doc. He got Jay-Z, who don't show up for anything unless it's A-list. Jay-Z is up in this documentary. Nas is up in this documentary. You got two hip-hop heavyweights who came and sat for your documentary. I don't understand why that wasn't the selling point. Watching this documentary, I'm learning shit about Irv Gotti. I had no clue about Irv Gotti is the reason DMX got on. He was in A&R somewhere and they didn't want to sign DMX. And he was like, well, then I quit. Like he was that serious about him. We don't get DMX without Irv Gotti. Some of Jay-Z's biggest songs Irv Gotti produced. I had no clue. I had no clue there was an affiliation between Irv Gotti and Jay-Z until Jay-Z pops up in the documentary. Who knew? I mean, everybody else in hip-hop knew. I didn't know. I don't understand why that wasn't your selling point. Go tell your stories about Hove. He's talking about he and Jay-Z met Irv Gotti was out in London producing something and that's how he met Jay-Z and Jay-Z liked his beats and was like, I need something for this. And Irv was like, I got you. And then it was one of it turned out to be one of Jay-Z's biggest songs. Tell that story, nigga. He says one of his biggest regrets is Jay-Z and Nas had beef. He, he decided to sign Nas to Murder, Inc. without thinking his version about the implications of, of what that would mean for his relationship with Jay-Z. He said he was high all the time. He wasn't thinking straight. Okay. Tell that story, nigga. Why, why is the story that you're telling everyone about Ashanti? Irv Gotti got a million good stories. He got DMX stories. He got Jay-Z stories. He got Nas stories. He has Jennifer Lopez stories. You got tons of stories about A-list people that aren't disrespectful or invasive. They're just like stories about life that happened and they're interesting. Nigga, tell that shit. It's far more interesting than 20 years ago when I was in my 30s and still married, separated as married. It is. You're still legally, emotionally and psychologically tethered to someone else, even separated, separate houses, living in separate states. Ask me how I know you was a grown ass man with all your grown ass man baggage and took advantage, really, because Ashanti was no more than 2021 tops at the time. Took advantage of a young woman who was showing up in the studio every day, working hard by all accounts, writing stuff, singing backgrounds, trying to get on however she could. She was headed home. You offered to drive her. And then when you got to her house, your version of events is you kissed her and grabbed her on the ass. There was no mention of consent or, or mutual interest or anything like that. You were the owner of a label and you held this woman's career possibilities in your hands. Huge power indifference. And then you grab her ass and kiss her. Irv Gotti's version of the story is I was in love with her. And he was sitting there watching TV one day. This is what he said on Drink Champs. And he saw she was with Nelly and he was devastated. How could she do this to me? How could you do that to her? You were in love. Clearly she wasn't. She was trying to get on. Irv Gotti. Also, I thought this was halfway decent of him. And the least he could have done... Considering the way he's been dragging Ashanti for the last few weeks. He said in the documentary that she was a great writer. She was a great singer. That he didn't put her on because he was dating her. He put her on because she was talented. She'd been on tracks already and it was making noise. People were interested. She wasn't signed to his label and didn't have her own album in the works. He signed her after she'd done a couple hooks and duets and was like, oh, okay. But he was also dating her at the time. But he explicitly says that's not why he signed her. So this narrative about Ashanti that's been going on for the last couple weeks. Like, oh, she only got on because Irv. By Irv's account, she was good. And already doing the work. By everyone's account, she was in the studio 24-7 trying to get on. She put in the work. But she took advantage of that girl. That young girl. That barely legal girl. It's a bunch of fucking predators. I was talking about this to a friend the other day, and I was like, why doesn't anybody call this shit out? Why aren't men calling this shit out? Like, he's a 30-something-year-old man. This is like a a 19, 20-year-old girl. That shit's fucked up. And they were like, who's going to call him out? It's not going to be Jay-Z. Because how old was Beyonce when he started messing with her? Oh, that's by their math. Oh. 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 Okay. Other thing I want to talk about. This Mike Tyson series on Hulu. I said I wasn't going to watch it. If you recall, I went to ABFF and Trevante Rhodes, who who stars in the Hulu series as Mike Tyson, he just rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, yeah, he's gorgeous. His body is amazing. But just overall, like I used to be very like, yeah, damn. And now when I see him, I just see a body. He's. Ungood. But they also played the trailer at ABFF and it looked amazing. But then Mike Tyson came out and was like, yeah, I have no affiliation with this. And Hulu just stole my life and then went and made a whole TV series about it. And it's not cool. I'm paraphrasing. Let me read to you exactly what Mike said. He's spoken out about it a couple times. This is from Entertainment Weekly. It says immediately following the news of the show, quote, Tyson blasted the project on social media. Hulu's announcement to do an unauthorized miniseries of the Tyson story without compensation, although unfortunate, isn't surprising. This announcement on the heels of social disparities in our country is a prime example of how Hulu's corporate greed led to this tone deaf cultural misappropriation of the Tyson life story. To make this announcement during Black History Month only confirms Hulu's concern for dollars over respect for black story rights. Hollywood needs to be more sensitive to black experiences. Fair. So after that, I was like, oh, I'm not going to watch this. Not that I'm a huge Mike Tyson supporter because I'm not. I do recognize that Mike Tyson has done some life work. You can listen to him speak and how he carries himself. He has done the work. He is not the person that he was in his 20s and maybe 30s, nor should he be. If you are 50-something and you are still the person that you were in your 20s or 30s, you have wasted your life. You should have evolved in some way. You should not think the same way that you did in your 20s and 30s. Same hopes and dreams? Fine. Your outlook on life should be different. Your life experiences should have matured you, should have expanded you, should have taught you some things. And I respect Mike's growth. Also, just as, I don't know, a person... I wouldn't want someone to take the highlights of my life that they've seen play out in public or from books that have been written about me or interviews that I've done and just piece together a story. And I have no involvement in it whatsoever. That just seems very like ick to me. Like, I know he's a public figure. This is something that Hulu has done, so I guess it's legal. I haven't heard anything about a lawsuit or a cease and desist. The show is still airing. The first two episodes came out, I guess, last week. So Tyson blasted Hulu in February, um, and then he blasted them again a couple weeks before the premiere of the show. He wrote on Instagram, quote, Don't let Hulu fool you. I don't support their story about my life. It's not 1822. It's 2002. They stole my life story and didn't pay me. To Hulu executives, I'm just a nigger. They can sell on the auction block. He posted that as a screenshot on Instagram. And then his caption says, Hulu is the streaming version of the Slave Master. They stole my story and didn't pay me. Now, you know, I support folks speaking out about somebody using their shit. I supported Khalees. I supported Dave Chappelle. He was like, I signed a bad contract for Comedy Central. And I feel like Netflix, and I want to say it was HBO. And he's like, and I feel like Netflix is taking advantage of me by streaming the Chappelle show. And I'm not seeing a dime off of it. That was my creation. and, And literally my face is all the way up and through it. Dave Chappelle put up a, it was somewhere like a 10 minute stand up. You could say he was on a stage and there was a microphone in his hand. He was upset about Netflix not paying him. And he made a distinction of what you're legally allowed to do and what is ethically the right thing to do are two different things. Because legally you can take this show that was my creation and you cannot pay me because it's legal doesn't mean it's ethical or moral or right. Netflix agreed. They also had Dave Chappelle under contract for like $60 million and he was bringing them a ton of money to renegotiate. But Netflix agreed to pay him something for the Chappelle show. I mentioned that because although Hulu legally can take Mike Tyson's story and piece together things from interviews and books and, and public moments, pop culture moments because they can do that legally doesn't mean it's the ethical moral right thing to do same thing with Beyonce and Khalees because she legally didn't have to call Khalees and let her know doesn't mean that someone I don't even think it had to be Beyonce it could have been Pharrell it could have been Chad it could have been someone that works for one of their businesses hey girl this is what's happening just want to let you know because the album drops tomorrow morning something no one thought to do that and it caused a big brouhaha for like a week on the internet it didn't have to happen But Hulu has done what's legal, but I don't think what's right or ethical or moral. I say all that to say, I still watched the first two episodes. I bootlegged it. So maybe it's not as bad that I watched it. It's actually kind of good. Trevante Rhodes as Mike Tyson is actually freakishly good. Freakishly good. His bald wig cap is not so good. Travante said on Instagram they were supposed to edit it in post and they clearly didn't. Like you can see the line for the wig cap, And I was like, if you're going to do Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson is pissed about it, you could have done Mike Tyson better than that. I only saw the first two episodes because that's all that's available right now, um, at least to me. I have a couple of friends who are journalists who got the screeners. They've seen the first five episodes. Everyone says it's pretty good just in terms of the acting and capturing all of the highlights and lowlights of Tyson's biggest moments he's had many he's been popular since at least the late 80s there's a lot of story to be told he's had a lot of a frankly bizarre or captivating incidents that said the general consensus for most of the people I know who've seen more than more than the two episodes available it's interesting to look at and Trevante does a really good job but it's not telling people anything they didn't know Also, most of the people that are saying that are my age, so we lived it. But I guess if you're maybe like a 20-something watching this and you don't know the full Tyson story or mystique, you might be more intrigued by it than people who actually lived through it and remember it all in real time. But I will probably bootleg the rest of the episodes. So, yeah. I still feel bad, though, about what they're doing to Tyson. I think what's bothering me, too, though, is like they're trying to defend it. They blatantly admitted that they didn't reach out to Tyson. They said something about they couldn't reach out because of something about life rights. And Tyson was like, no, my life rights expired years ago. You absolutely could have reached out and then you didn't. I hate when people are dead ass wrong and just won't say they're wrong. Like if you do some fucked up shit, just stand in your fucked up shit. Don't don't try to deny it. Don't try to change it into something else. Don't try to justify it. Be like you did some fucked up shit. You know what I did? What can you do with that? It's the denial that keeps the story going. Like, you did some fucked up shit. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You did some fucked up shit. I did. There's no more story. There's no more conflict. Speaking of stories and conflict, I need to go finish writing this this damn script. I was never supposed to write this script. Now they got me writing the script. Once I got the opening line, it's been flowing. I just need to clean it up so it can be seen in public. Not ready for public consumption yet. And by public consumption, I mean like, you know the studio, the production, my lawyer. All right. We'll be back on Tuesday. Hopefully I would listen to this Meghan Markle podcast by then. I'll definitely have read the interview. Um, we'll see. Life is, life is a lot. Life is good, but life is a lot. All right. That's our episode for this week. I'll be back on Friday. All right. Bye. Almost forgot.